Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me read these passages for you. This is a, about communion tonight. Paul's instructing the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11. Let me begin reading in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. He's going to say that twice in verse 22. So this is not a paragraph or even a letter in its entirety that is about praise by any stretch. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, truly we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Right beliefs do not always produce right behavior. Another way of saying it would be, orthodoxy does not always produce orthopraxy, right? But if you believe the right things, it doesn't always mean that you behave the right way. Why not? Why not? Someone with an answer. Why is that? Because in our text, about one of the most important things, the Lord's table, they had the right beliefs about it. But they were acting completely in contradiction to what the Lord's Supper was all about. They had the right beliefs, Completely wrong behavior. Why does that happen? Has, has that happened to anybody in here ever? You, how many of you believe and beha behave everything you believe? Okay, so we understand we're in the same boat, right? Why does that happen? Why do we believe but not behave sometimes? Tim? Okay, so the heart is... Jeremiah 17, 9, a heart is desperately wicked, so we have heart problem. That is definitely for sure. Now, that would be true, saved or unsaved, right? Um, not to the same degree, of course, but we have a heart problem. 
Sarah Joy. Okay, pride. Pride because we may know a lot of things, and as Paul says earlier in this book, it may puff up, and you may think you're all that because of how much you know, but you're not doing it. What did James say about that dichotomy, knowing and doing, or he puts it a different way. What does he say in chapter 1? Faith without works is dead. So it's possible, right, that you believe a lot of things, but you don't behave them because you're not really a Christian. That, that's possible. What else might be true, Mike? You, you can believe part of things. Like, you know, you can believe in God, but you don't really believe God is everything he says he is. Okay, so it's, a, it's not a complete view of it. It's not a complete faith or belief. It's a partial thing. You believe it so far... Until it infringes on your life, perhaps, right? right? What else? Why? Sandy? Well, what God's doing in me over the course of many months is it's about a relationship with him. And, and um, I can't do anything without him. Right. So you can, have, you can have beliefs because, remember James 2? The, the demons believe what? And tremble. So, you know, obviously we know demons aren't believers, but they believe. Do you know they believe Jesus is the Son of God? They believe the, is the Word. They believe all the things that we do, but obviously it's not impacting them the way we would think we should be impacted by it. So you can believe, even demons believe, right? So it's, it's possible. Now, listen, in this case, they are believing the right things about the Lord's Supper and what it means and all that sort of thing, but they're missing something. And because they're missing something, they're not behaving it. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, Old or New Testament alike, and you can refer back to my series on hospitality, meals are significant in the Bible. In fact, I would go so far as to say meals have value, and they demonstrate values. The people who participated in a meal and the people that were excluded from meals said volumes about what you thought about the host, right? So here we have in a Roman culture, which was Corinth. It was a colony. Um, the way that they do communion is not the way that we're going to do it tonight. From all I can read in Scripture, it went something like this. All of the communion times were done in private homes because all the churches were in private homes. Unlike today, they didn't have buildings uh, as that we have today. So they met throughout the city in numerous homes in numerous places, and they were all private homes. The problem with the communion stuff is what Catholics and Protestants debate about is what, you know, do this remembrance of me, this is my body. Everybody wants to argue about whether it's metaphorical, spiritual, literal, and, and that's not Paul's interest or concern at all. I mean, I believe our view is obviously the right one, but that's not his concern. His concern is, believe it or not, it's not even the vertical part. And here's another way of saying it. Right beliefs don't always believe, have, come out to right behavior because you could have all the right things going vertically and have them, none of them translate into horizontal. And that's what's happening in this church. People are coming to meals, and the people who are kind of highest rank and status are getting all the good food, and they're bringing their own food, and they've got lots of it, and the poor people don't have anything. In fact, they're getting so much food, and they're drinking so much that some of them, get this, imagine this. There are people getting drunk at communion. Now imagine that tonight. We're sitting here. I'm going to take this out in a minute. And some of you have to tell you, no, nope, we can't do this as long as you are still getting drunk over there in the back of the rows, back over there. That would be, now, we can't fathom that you could come to communion and be that selfish. But they were. 
That was what was going on. The question is, why? Let me tell you why, and I'm going to give you some pictures. In Roman life, outside of the church, in Corinth, it was filled with social stratification. And that means this, that everybody had their own place based on their status and culture. So you had rich people, the elite people, and you had uh, low-class people. And when you went to a house, can you put that up there, Steve? Uh, there was a table. This is the way Jesus and the disciples would have had the Last Supper. We portray that in our Easter drama. And I think over the last number of years, we've done it right. It's not a table with chairs because they didn't do that. Um, this was considered protocol in a Roman society is that you had a very low table to the floor and you had big pillows laying all around it in a U-shape, which they called in Latin triclinium. And you would lean against the pillow and then you'd also lean against, so you can see in the middle there, Jesus, and if this would have been the Lord's Supper, to his right would have been John and to his left would have been Judas, which there seems to be an empty space. I don't know if this picture was meant to not have Judas there because he's gone already. But then you go around the last one, which would have been the guy in the red piece with a red uh, on his legs there, would have been the servant's place because that's where Peter sat. <laughs> And then the middle part that's open was for all the servants to come through and they would come in and serve everybody and walk down the middle of the U. That's how that worked. And every house in a Roman, if you had a house or a villa, they had a special room and this is where you ate. This room could have about nine people in it. And you can see on the right hand triclinium up there. Now the big space to the left over there was like a bathing pool, which is a washing thing. Um, that would have been what's called the atrium. What was happening in these houses for communion is, is the rich people would come early, they would bring their own food and a lot of it, and they thought that they deserved because of their status, like in the Roman culture, they would get to eat in the triclinium room around the table because that was the nicest place. So they would come with all their food and they would be in there and there may be room for about nine or ten, maybe a dozen at the most. And so they would go in there, but if you had a, a house church with way more, and most of them may have had around 40 or 50 people, the rest of everybody would have to go out in the atrium, and they would have to sit out there, and there was not nearly as nice, and there wasn't any tables or anything like that out there, and you'd eat out there, and you could look through the windows, and you could watch the main meal going on in here, but you would have to serve later. And now these people in the atrium would have come in, and they would have been lower in status and rank. They would have been poor, brought little or no food, and little or no drink. And so what was happening is, is they would have a meal. Here's how they would do it. They would celebrate the Lord's table. They would have the Lord's, the bread, and then they'd have a real meal, and then they have the Lord's drink at the end. So the meal of Christ would be separated by a meal in between that they would have, like you and I would have if we had people over for dinner, all right? So they had the Lord, the bread, a meal, the cup. And in between, right in the middle of celebrating Jesus' death on the cross, they would be treating each other like garbage. <laughs> they would be celebrating the values of the world by saying, hey, you're really cool and you're really important, but if you're a nobody, so you sit out there and if you don't have any food, it's okay because the point is we're going to, and they were getting th drink and they were getting drunk and it was awful. It was an awful, selfish mess. And so he says, I'm going to instruct you because when you get together, now I want you to take your pen if you're going to study the Bible. I know Pastor Dave did a little bit this on Sunday night while I was gone. 
Here's, here's another tip about how to read the Bible. There's beginning this section and ends this section. There's a phrase that's repeated five times. Look at the text. It's come together. It's three times at the beginning and twice at the end. In the following instructions, when you come together, verse 17, when you come together, verse 18, and when you come together, he says again, I think in verse 19, uh, I'm sorry, and then twice at the end, 17, 18, and 20, 30 and 34. So at the three at the beginning, two at the end. He's talking about when they come together and have worship or services, mainly the Lord's Supper, which seems to be every time they get together. So this is about, in between, is a story about, a true story, of what happens when they come together. Now, if you want to look at it, here's how you break it down. He's going to tell you, blow by blow, so to speak, about what was going on, and he's going to mark off each one of them with a little word for Okay, the little word for, it's in verse 18. You see it says for, first one. Verse 19 has one. Verse 21 has one. Verse 23 has one. 22 has one, I'm sorry. 23 has one and 26. So one of them you can't see in the English because they translated it differently, but there's six of them in a row. Four, 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 four. Here's, here's what he's telling you. Between these two markers of you coming together, here's what's coming and what's do, what you're doing when you come together for worship and you celebrate the Lord's table. Here's what everyone's doing, and he's going to tell them how wrong it is and why. So let's look at it and see if we can draw some applications to our lives tonight in our church. So he says, for in the first place when you come together, I hear that there are divisions among you. And he says, I believe it in part, second four, for there must be factions among you. And factions is the word, believe it or not, in the English we get heresies. All right? So he says there's heresies. People are acting heretical. But not, listen, not in belief, but in behavior. What does that look like? He says, Here's why these factions or these behavioral, relational heresies are taking place. He says, because the Lord is using this to show those who are genuine among you and how they can be recognized. It's the word dokimazo. It means to be prove or to be tested. It was used of alloys and metals to show their purity or not. In other words, here's what God says. Here's what Jesus says. You know why this is happening in the church? One of the reasons is this. So you can tell the real people who are genuinely Christians and tell the ones who are not. Now, how would you know it? Ready? All over the New Testament. Not your beliefs, but your behavior. Watch. More specific and pointed to that. How you treat other people how you treat other people. That was the test. See, the way that you treat other people, which was expressed for them at the communion table and how they would or would not share their food and how they were self-indulgent and selfish instead of self-sacrificial was a demonstration about whether they were genuinely believers. It was a test. It was a test for them. And he says, in the divine plan, here's how God exposes the ones that have tested, been tested and are proven to be genuine and the ones that are not. He says this is why factions occur. Divisions occur in churches and one of the reasons sometimes is this, to prove people who have really have faith and who don't. So the question was, are you standing the test? So here's the first thing he wants to tell them. You see, communion is a time where you come together not just to say, God, am I right with you vertically, but God, am I right with everyone else horizontally? 
because that is the test of the genuineness of whether you really understand what the communion table is all about. So he says in verse 20 that this isn't the Lord's Supper you're doing, it's your supper. They have come to take the Lord's Supper, listen to this, in between the two elements, they have made the meal such a debauchery about how they were selfish that they had made void the true meaning of the whole thing. And it really hasn't become communion anymore. It was all about them. So how did they do it? Here's how. You remember what I showed you on the board? You ready? Because they had begun to practice in church what the world was doing. The world separated people out and made distinguishing marks between them about rich and poor, upper class, lower class, whether you were Italian or Jewish or whatever. See, all that ethnicity and all the rich and the poor stuff and all that had broke down people, so you should be in the triclinium room. If you weren't, you should be out in the atrium room. And see, we stratified everybody and showed who really mattered and who was important based on all those things that the world tells us. See, and they brought that into the church, even into communion. See, we don't have that problem in communion so much. But the principle's still the same, isn't it? Fast forward 21 centuries to our day and find out, see, we bring in all that stuff to our church. And so, see, we let that stuff divide us, not that stuff, but the stuff of our day. So we say whether you're a Democrat or a, or, or a Republican, and we think that that is really important, and they get divided over that. There's factions over that, he says. You, get, you think that this is the stratification. See, now we just stratify differently in what political position you hold or your views on racism or some other theories that go along with it. People's view of COVID, wear a mask or not wear a mask, get a vaccine or not. And we let that, I've seen people leave churches over that. Well, why? Because the world views it that way. That's something you divide from. You don't have my political position, I divide from you. You don't hold my view on racism, I divide from you. You don't have my views on mask and COVID and the, see, then we, we, we divide from one another. And see, we have brought that stuff into our fellowship from the world. And like our culture around us, we start canceling people. Cancel churches, cancel coming to church, cancel friendships, cancel relationships. See, that's what happened in Corinth because they're reflected, the world was reflected in the way they viewed other people and theirs was in the context of communion. It divided them, see. So communion is not just a vertical ritual it is a horizontal relationship. And Paul says, now that I pointed out the problem to you and how bad it is, what's the answer to it? In a day when everyone is bringing the world into the church and picking up their values and how they view people and how they view relationships, how do you stay unified? How do you do it in the church where every, so many people have different political views, racial views, and cultural views, how do you stay unified? How do you keep oneness? Here's what he says, and this is the verses we always quote, and now you know why he puts them in here. Verse 23, next four, for I received from the Lord, not a special revelation, this is a tradition that Jesus started, handed down from Jesus, and it's still alive in Paul's day as he ministers in Corinth, and that Jesus took the Passover meal, and turned it into the climax of telling his own story because he's the point of that Exodus meal. He says, this is what I received from the Lord. Listen, on the important phrase, on the night in which he was betrayed. The betrayed word is accurate. It can mean betrayed. And in the Gospels, it is often used of Judas. 
Paul uses that word in his letters. Never once does he use it of Judas. In fact, Paul never talks about Judas in any of his letters. When Paul uses this word, and you could read in Romans 4.25, Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Delivered him up is the same word for betrayed. Handed over is the idea. And when Paul uses it, listen, he always uses it of God, not Judas. Although it is true Judas handed Jesus over, right? And the Jewish people handed him over to Pilate. The theological view that Paul wants to get over to all of us is that it was God the Father who handed him over. He, God, who did not spare his own son. God delivered him over. And why would he say that in this text? Listen, because he wants you to understand something. When he tells you about how self-sacrificial Jesus' love is for us to the point that he would die on the cross, he wants you to remember that this is not a tragic event that was an accident. It wasn't by chance or by bad luck that it happened. God sovereignly planned it. That when you watch Jesus at Easter die on the cross, know this, that before the foundations of the world, that was designed. The best self-sacrificial love is intentional, purposeful. And that is why the behavior of the Corinthians that were reflecting the world around them at the communion inside their church was so abhorrent to Paul. And I can say more even so to God. You know why? It was in complete contradiction to everything they were doing at the table that represented Christ's death. See, that's what the problem was, and that's what Paul says. See, I want to tell you the tradition that Jesus passed down to us. You know what it is? He says, on the night he was handed over, on the night that he could have been thinking about himself, on the night when God gave him over and he was going to die a horrible, shameful, hideous, torturous death and be separated from his father and bear all our sins, he was thinking of you. How in the world, Corinthians, can you be this incredibly, listen, incredibly selfish while you are thinking about communion? That is almost beyond scope in our, our, our comprehension, isn't it? How could they be in a service celebrating the Lord's table and living and acting so selfishly? We do it. We do it. We can come to church and raise our hands and sing songs and put money in the plate and take notes in the offering. All the while, we're angry and bitter at other people and have never gotten it right. We can do that ourselves if we're not careful. And so he tells them twice, the Lord, when he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body. See the text? Now you understand why I say it. This is for you. For you, he says. Do this in remembrance of me. You know what the crazy thing about it is? The word remembrance used twice in those two verses is the Greek word, get this, amnesia. <laughs> you know why? He's do this in remembrance of me. Isn't it crazy that you have, you're at the Lord's table and you have to be reminded not to forget what it's really about. That it's possible tonight that you could have spiritual amnesia that you take up this wafer, which is not good, and you drink this cup, which isn't much better. Um, you drink this and eat this all the while thinking about what this really means, but you're living in ways that are contrary to everything that it stands for. See, that's why churches don't have unity and are more reflective of their culture than their Christ. 
see? And Paul says, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. For, he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, listen, you, listen, proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. What does he mean? I don't know for sure whether it's a gospel presentation because that's not the context, although that was true and that's great. What he means is you keep showing people, you keep proclaiming to them the way that Jesus died and why he died, and you keep proclaiming it in the way that you treat each other and the way that you live. See, that's what we have. And when you do it until he comes. Now, listen, listen, this is where it gets really serious. Because until he comes is in the context, and I'm going to show you, judgment day. Because the last section is filled with seven times. Here's what he says. If you would judge yourself, you wouldn't have to be judged. And if you would discipline yourself, then God wasn't going to have to come and judge you. But if you don't eat worthily, if you eat unworthily of this, the, the bread and the body of Christ, you bring condemnation to yourself. And if you kept it up, you would be condemned with the world. I mean, see what he's saying? Until he comes back. Until he comes back and you stand before him. Here's what he says. You should get it right now. Because you don't want to wait to the judgment day and then you end up being condemned with the world because you proved all along by the way you treated other people that you really don't know him, he says. So it, it's a serious thing. So he says on that night, see, Jesus was betrayed or given over, I should say, by the hand of the Father and he still loved and he says, listen, I don't want you to have spiritual amnesia. I don't want you to forget when you come to this table because you do it so often that you forget that it's not just, hey, God, am I right with you? As important as that is. But with the pattern is there, am I right with everyone else? And so we say this. It says in the text, and the same word in verse 19 is the same word in verse 28. Remember I told you it meant to be tested or prove it? In verse 28, he says this, let a person test himself. This is a self-examination. You test yourself, why? Because if you're not approved, if you're not really doing what, you're not believing, behaving what you're believing about the Lord's table and the way you treat each other people, he said you should take some inventory. So listen, when you take inventory tonight and we take the cup, when you pray and you say, God, don't say, is there anything between me and you? That's good, but don't leave it there say this, is there anything between me and anybody else? Because it says that is most important as well. See, they're living as if and they're acting as if the death of Jesus hasn't decisively changed their relationships with each other. That's how they're living. That's not preaching Christ until he comes with your life. When I was a kid, I know this is probably dating how old I am, but there was an old song that we, we had in VBS with kids. Do you remember the song, You're a Sermon in Shoes? Do you, wow, really, nobody? Chris, thank you, honey. Oh, wow, I thought I'm the only one. I, I'm not gonna sing it tonight, although it is a really cute song. The words go like this. Do you know, O Christian, you're a sermon in shoes. Jesus calls upon you to spread the gospel news, and it says, so walk it and talk it. Live it and give it. Teach it and preach it. Know it and show it, because you're a sermon in shoes. And I, I, I love that song. I'm so tempted to sing it. No, 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 no. But you know what? This song is so true. It's so simple, but it's true. You're a sermon in shoes. Not a sermon behind the pulpit. 
which I told myself this week, it's not here, it's there. My shoes, where I go, what I do, how I live, how I treat other people. See, the Lord's Supper is not just another supper or another meal. Here's what he wants. He wants you to think about future judgment. He wants you to think about the fact that you will stand before Jesus someday and he is going to ask you, not only vertically, were you right with me, but did I live worthy of the manner in which you died? See, Jesus died unselfishly and put others first. That's the pattern. It's not just whether I'm going to die and go to heaven. It's whether I'm going to live on earth the way that Jesus did. So he says, let someone test themselves. Because if you are without discerning the Lord's body, you are drinking and eating judgment unto yourself. What does that mean? That means they weren't really remembering and getting the real intent of the Lord's Supper. That this is my, Jesus says, this is my body. Later on in the text, in another chapter, he tells, you know what, you are my body. Here's what Jesus would say. Listen, if you treat other Christians this bad, I want you to know you are treating me the same way. See, that's why it's serious. That's why Jesus takes it so serious. You treat other people like this at communion and you're so selfish and it's all about you. See, when you do that to them at my table, you're doing it to me. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25? You know, when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was in prison, you came and visited me. And they say to him, Lord, when will we visit you? And when were you naked? And when were you hungry? When did we give you something to eat? And he says, when you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, what? You did it unto me. Saul, Saul, who are you, Lord, that I should know you? He says, Saul, why do you kick against the pricks? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting was he Jesus was dead and risen but when you were doing it to his people you were doing it to him that's why it's serious that's why tonight we come to the table and we want to think about Lord am I right with you listen by being right with others that's what it is that God wants us he wants to say and listen how important was it well he ends verses 33 and 34 with the last two come-togethers. He says, when you've come together, guess what happens? There are people who are not listening to this admonishment, and what has happened to them? Some of them have become weak, some of them have become sick, and some of them have been disciplined to death. I would think that's pretty serious. That's how serious God takes the vertical and the horizontal relationships. We can't really split them up, only to our own peril. So tonight, would you take the cup and turn it over to the side where the bread is? And I'll repeat the new covenant words of a person whose heart should be changed to love God and others. This is my body, Jesus says, which is for you. Do, do this in remembrance of me. On that night that he was handed over by God to die willingly for us, sacrificially for us, he also said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
Would you quietly bow your heads and close your eyes, and would you pray that God would give you discernment of the body and blood of Christ, and would you examine yourself and prove and demonstrate to yourself that you are not only right between you and God vertically, but also that you're right between others and yourself horizontally. Would you do that quietly? And then in just a few moments, we'll have a deacon's offering. Gentlemen, we're going to have you come forward for our offering. We're going to pray. And the music, you can keep playing the music as we take the offering. Let's pray, and then we'll give. Father, we get to do some orthopraxy right now. We believe that you have given us a pattern of self-sacrifice. And so, God, we get to do that now in this offering. We have prayed just a few moments ago that you would forgive us our sins, the sins of not being right with one another. And, Father, I pray that now we would visibly demonstrate that same self-sacrificial spirit of Jesus had when he died for us in the way that we give to meet the needs of others Help us to do that, that Jesus, we might preach your cross through it and your death and resurrection, we pray in Christ's name, amen.